the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Welcome to tonight's Andrea K Show. It is Taco Tuesday. Mm-mm-mm. And it is also finally, I think, possibly drying out in San Diego. Look, this ended up being a really nasty uh, storm out here in California. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of videos you can see on the Internet today, on the webs, uh, showing people surfing and in the streets of San Diego. It's just it's not looking good out there. Many people. One of the videos I saw today is in a part of San Diego uh, that it, it's just one of our lower income neighborhoods. And it's just sad to see that if you're listening to me and you're in any of the affected areas from San Diego, all the way up by uh, California, just know that we pray for you and we hope that you're okay. And that you're, um, able to sustain whatever losses have hit you with this storm. And we care about you. Um, if you're out in your car on the way home, the roads are still wet. I hope that you drive careful and get home safely. Just know that we love you and we're praying for all of you. All right. We got a lot to get into tonight. We really need to pray for this country because it's just really, it's crazy out there, but in the middle of it all, we're still going to have, uh, we're going to make time to have some fun tonight because there's always, uh, there's always something to laugh about. There's always something to joke about, always something that gives us hope and inspiration And uh, we always like to tap into that. And in fact, I need to revive. I'd said for a while that I was going to start looking for like a daily nominee. On Fridays, we do Hear of the Week and Stink of the Week. And for a while, I I, and I kind of fell off and forgot about it with all the breaking bad news. But uh, I want to make it a point with my partner here that that at least every day we come up with a nominee they may not win when friday comes for here of the week but i'm going to make a point and um and with my partner here i'm going to bring him him in in a moment that we're gonna we're gonna nominate a hero of the week um every day with the winner to be on friday um Speaking of my partner, he joins me every night of the week, whether it's Tuesday or not. It is DJ Sesame Broccolini. I love me some Sesame Broccolini. This guy, fiery like a dragon. Like a dungeon dragon. I eat Sesame Broccolini. I, uh, I think that's a great idea. I really do. Picking, nominating someone, at least one person daily, <laughs> right? Just one hero, one stink candidate. I, I think that that's a great idea. Yeah, and I think we're going to start off the show with that. And I think clearly, as everybody mourns the death today of country legend Toby Keith, who tragically died of stomach cancer, 
Uh, I think I want to nominate him on tonight's and just start off the show. Why wait to talk about something positive? How about we do it in reverse? How about we start off the show with something positive? And that's the memory of music, uh, country music uh, legend, Toby Keith. And I was actually really struck today in hearing that he died because just this weekend, I watched a YouTube video of him. I didn't recognize him at first. And I really thought based upon the video uh, that he was on the road to recovery. And I think I watched that Saturday night. And so to hear that he passed away two days after I watched that video, just I, I was just shocked by it today. And then as I looked back at at, at his life, it, man, it, it, just just his patriotic songs alone and what he did. And, and let me tell you, the, the music industry, as well as you know, the entertainment industry has changed very much since the golden days of Hollywood when some of uh, America's biggest legendary iconic stars uh, enlisted to fight in World War II and other wars. Uh, we, we have lost... Obviously, as you all know, I don't have to tell you what the damage has been done uh, to the culture of America that loves its country, that praises its 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 victories, that believes in American exceptionalism. And he wrote about that in his songs and uh, that were that were an homage to this country and to everything we stand for and the good that we've done on the fifth anniversary of 9-11 i would never forget i've told this story many times i interviewed major general bob scales and he told me that if you look back on the history of the world since america began wherever there was strife the solution began with men and women of the United States military walking the streets in uniform. And that's what Toby Keith sang about. And we've lost that love of country by design. The left has worked to destroy it. And as we, and so I'm nominating him because he could have taken the path as so many have done and not stood up for what's right, not continued to, to spread a hopeful conservative message of love of country and God. He could have taken the easy path. It might've ended up making more money, but he didn't. And so as, as we look at those who've caved to the pressures of the left for a paycheck, his, his legacy will be one of not just great music, uh, but somebody who actually supported the U.S. military, not just in words, but in actions. And uh, what a loss. What a loss. I any thoughts you want to give to that, my partner, Sesame Broccolini? Yeah, I mean, that was very well said. And there are a couple of thoughts I'd like to add. Number one, I, you know, the way I think about it, it is in some material, real way a loss, but it's also not because he's an eternal life now in the kingdom True. of God. And the way I've thought about it with my own, you know, close loved ones passing, it's 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 a change. It's a loss, but it's also just a change. And I think that it's really important to remind people of that sort of Christian ethic and moral. This is a Christian nation after all. Um, and I, I, I just love the spirit, though. You're so right. It's, a, it's, Ameri it's classic Americana. It's patriotism, which means to me, and really to everyone, it should mean you always love your people. You always love your, your land and your nation. You respect and love your government when they deserve it, when they earn it. But generally speaking, it's about the love of the people and, and this nation. People, I think people tend to forget that. And just because we talk about the missteps of the government or the fact that this government's waging war against us, we should remind each other that we're in this together as Americans. That nation is much more important to me than the state. The government is yeah. 
obviously a very important thing, but I just think that there's that sense of national identity, that sense of nationalism and patriotism. Well, that's what music, I'm mourning tonight. Yeah, exa- same, right. exactly. So I don't know. It's just, it is nice to see that, um, especially in the entertainment industry. And I think that it's making something of a comeback with some particular, you know, artists that are coming up, at least in country music. So I'm glad to yeah. see people sort of carry that tradition on, you know? Yeah, well, let's see more of it. Let's see more mm-hmm. of it. Let mm-hmm. his legacy, let the spotlight mm-hmm. on him today be a reminder of America's greatness and be a reminder of how far as a culture we've gone away from that. That's what his that's why his his death today is striking so many people, not just because of the loss of him as a human being and for his family, uh, but what it what it represents in terms of our nation and how far we've gone from it, you know, and 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 I wanted to start off the show with that because I think as we talk about uh, coming up after the break, we've got an attorney coming on, uh, first time on the Andrea K show, uh, it, to, to come on and talk about the latest in the lawfare uh, uh, there's breaking news today in the weaponization of the Department of Justice against former President Trump. We've got that to talk about. We've got the border crisis that's happening in our country and the insanity surrounding that. You know, when you when you see the images of Toby Keith's songs and that the, the, the music videos, the 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 VO, as we call it in, in TV land, um, the background images and, and footage for his pro-America, uh, you, you know, songs, a, as you watch that, you know, you think, is that the same America where we've got today, which is literally our government orchestrating an invasion against the people? I mean, it's it's like that America is gone and we've got to bring it back. We desperately have to bring it back. We've got border news to share with you guys. Uh, we've got uh, attorney Daniel Steele will be with us in a moment to weigh in on the appellate court today to refresh your memory. You know that the January 6th case brought a case in District of Columbia in, in D.C. brought against Trump uh, regarding him. They didn't uh, uh, indict him for insurrection, but it was about questioning the outcome of an election and stealing people's right to vote and creating distrust in, in the system. Well, one of the first things that President Trump's team did was file a motion that that um, that presidential immunity be applied to the case and that that this case be dropped. Jack Smith immediately, special counsel, you know, stepped over the appellate court went to SCOTUS to ask them to weigh in. They said, not so fast. You got to take it down to the appellate court. And today, three of the justices on the uh, circuit court in D.C. ruled that Donald Trump's immunity did not, um, uh, he was no longer a president, and now he's just a citizen, so presidential immunity does not apply. So we're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to bring in, first time on the Andrea K Show, uh, best-selling author and attorney Daniel R. Street, and coincidentally, he happens to have spent over two decades handling civil lit in the state and federal court in my home state of Louisiana. So stick around; we'll be with him when, he come, when we come back. Bringing the world a much-needed reality check. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. 
Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. Don't forget, if you miss any part of the show, feel free to download the podcast wherever you get your pods. Email me at andreakshow.com, andreakshow.com. I try to save a little time at the end of the show to read out the emails because we love to hear from you guys. Email me with feedback on any topics, suggestions, if you got a rant, anything you want me to know about, a guest suggestion, anything you want to share with me, email me at andreakshow.com, especially if it's praise to tell me how great I am (laughs) because I love to get the compliments. All right. Before the break, I was sharing with you guys an update on this, uh, the Jan 6 uh, case out of D.C. against Trump, the one involving an insurrection, although they didn't charge him with insurrection. Uh, There was an appellate ruling today at the D.C. Circuit Court, I believe, saying that his presidential immunity did not apply. I am not an attorney, but I brought on one uh, to discuss the issue tonight. It is Daniel R. Street. He's an attorney, legal analyst, and author of Daniel R. Street's Fake News Exposed. (gasps) Love the title of that book. He's got a three-volume book series called Fake News Exposed about Trump. And I can't wait to have him on tonight from Monroe, Louisiana. Daniel Street, welcome to the Andrea K. Show. Thank you for having me on. Well, let me ask you a question, Mr. Street. Let me put you through a little voir dire. Is that what you attorneys call it? I got to check what we your call cr- it In Louisiana and Texas, they call it voir dire. Oh, for, oh the Texans. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got to put you through a little voir dire, my dude, because I happen to be from Slidell, Louisiana. So let me check your creds, okay? Where'd you go to undergraduate? Uh, Louisiana State University. All right. So did I. Very good. You've passed the most important test of your credentials to be an expert witness on tonight's Andrea Kay show. Very good. Where'd you go to law school? Louisiana State University. A two for two. I got a two for. All righty. Well, I'm so excited. As well as Speaker Johnson, are y'all friends? Uh, we are not. I do, I, I do not have the honor of personally knowing uh, Speaker Mike Johnson. Okay. All righty. Well, I'm glad to have you on tonight's Andrea K. Show. You're obviously good peeps, uh, and you're obviously brilliant because you went to Louisiana State University like Andrea K. did. So, <laughs> so now right. everybody listening. Yeah. Um, you had any king cake yet this season? I you don't have, even eat king I've cake had, up in Monroe? Yes, I've had too much king <laughs> cake already. <laughs> my friend, my friend out of, out of Baton Rouge sent me the Dong Fong. Have you tried the, the legendary Dong Fong yet? I have not. Okay. No. Well, just, just, a, just a little tip for you. If you have a chance to try the, the now legendary Dong Fong, you want to get on that right away. Okay. So let's talk about this case. So the appellate court today ruled uh, that he didn't have immunity. And I'm hoping you can help me to understand why they're saying, well, he's a regular citizen now, Mr. Street, but was he not president mm-hmm. of the United States at the time in which all this occurred? Yes, he absolutely most certainly was. And and I can tell you, uh, really, the D.C. Circuit's decision was not surprising. The D.C. Circuit is populated with uh, Democrat activists and two of the judges on this panel have been on the court for 18 months. So, um, I wasn't surprised by it. I can tell you, though, in my opinion, uh, had this been, uh, uh, you know, a, a charge against 
President Barack Obama, the, this court would have reached a different conclusion. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, of course, if this had been uh, there, Barack Obama was never brought to justice. He, you know, neither he nor any of his henchmen in the weaponized FBI and DOJ, whether it was part of Crossfire Hurricane, uh, the insurance policy that was the Bob Mueller, you know, Russian collusion hoax investigation. Absolutely nobody paid a price, including uh, the, I think there was only one attorney, the attorney who falsified the FISA warrant, uh, he still got his, was that Klein Smith? He still got his law license. So it's like nobody involved in any of the crimes that have been committed at the FBI, the DOJ, uh, you know, Barack Obama himself, nobody ever, nobody's ever held accountable, including right now, the current occupant of the White House who sold off this country in his, you know, um, corrupt graft scheme with the crackhead son. Getting back to this Jan 6 case, it's been a while since anybody, since the it was filed. We've also got the, you know, the E. Jean Carroll situation in New York. Uh, we got the documents case down in Florida. We got Fannie Willis and her nonsense going on in Atlanta. I want to back up a little bit and talk about the specifics of this Jan 6 case. Because I don't want to dismiss it and think like people are today thinking, well, it's going to go to the Supreme Court and all is going to be good. I'm concerned that this is going to pierce and remove immune since we've already established that nobody on the left ever gets held accountable, that this will pierce and permanently destroy uh, presidential immunity, even regardless of how SCOTUS rules. Am I wrong? Well, no, I don't believe you're wrong. I think that's a, I mean, that's a risk. Um, not, not if the United States Supreme Court comes down on the side of presidential immunity. But really, the the irony here is, Congress members, members of Congress, members of the House, members of the United States Senate have this immunity. Um, federal judges have this immunity. Uh, oh, why the president wouldn't have the same immunity, at least with respect to, you know, his official functions, is uh, bizarre. I, I think, you know, it, it's what we call an issue of first impression. No court had ever ruled on this before, other than the district court in this case, because uh, no president's ever been indicted. So it, no, no court's ever had to address it. It'll get to the Supreme Court eventually if the Supreme Court rules in favor of pres presidential immunity which I expect they will, then that will be the end of okay, this so that would be indictment. Okay. Well, the reason why I was they, they there was some language in there that had me wondering. They said something like this case, and I thought maybe there would be wiggle room um, that it could be just for Trump. It could be applied like this, or that that if the the Supreme Court could rule in a way that only addresses you know one particular specific case, but then leave it open that other, you know, immunity wouldn't be granted. So, and then on top of it, I was, I was wondering because Bill Clinton was put under a deposition uh, during the Monica Lewinsky days. Why didn't he get immunity at that point? Right. Well, uh, let me say this, the, the ability of courts, uh, to massage their way around a decision uh, definitely exists. It happens all the time. So 
if the if and when the Supreme Court rules on this question, you know, would there be a way in the future that other courts might be able to try to sidestep the Supreme Court's opinion? Uh, sure, I don't think we could foreclose that. Okay. But um, to answer your question about President Clinton, President Clinton's um, the, the the conduct for which he was sued by Paula Jones occurred before he was president. So he used uh, he used a form of presidential immunity in civil cases to delay the progress of that case is really what that was about. So uh, his case involving that that sexual harassment claim didn't imp- did not implicate presidential immunity with respect to the merits of the claim itself. Okay. All right. Thank you for clearing that up. We're talking to uh, best-selling author and attorney Daniel Street. So this Jan 6 case itself, they didn't charge him. Is this one of these first impression cases itself uh, in terms of not even the immunity, but just the fact that that he's not been charged with insurrection? So he's been charged with breaching trust or denying people their rights. I mean, on its face, is this just such cockamamie, you know, contrived nonsense that it shouldn't even be heard? Or or, or does this case have some legs? Well, it's definitely, in my opinion, cockamamie nonsense that shouldn't be heard. But despite that, it does have some legs. let's, Let's discuss the counts real quick. There's four counts. Uh, stated against President Trump in the January 6th D.C. indictment. Uh, Two of those counts involved the obstruction of an official proceeding uh, charges. Those charges are in another case already at the United States Supreme Court. So what happened was uh, a number of the J6 defendants, everything those people were charged with pretty much were were, uh, misdemeanors. So the United States Department of Justice cooked up this uh, obstruction of the official proceeding charge to put some mm-hmm. felony charges on people. Um, the problem is that particular statute or that series of statutes, was they were enacted after the Enron scandal back in the early 2000s. And it was about destroying, altering, and tampering with evidence in the context of a congressional investigation. And so it's really not applicable to January 6th or anything that happened on January 6th. It had never been used in that context. And that's, that case, the Supreme Court just granted writ on, and it's, uh, it's you know, before the court or will be in this next uh, court session. So 72% of the time, according to some studies, about 72% of the time that the Supreme Court grants a writ, they reverse. So you can start out wow. with a fundamental presumption that the Supreme Court's likely to reverse the lower courts. The D.C. Circuit held that uh, that obstruction of official proceeding charge was fine, and the Supreme Court's probably going to reverse that, and that's going to gut the indictment because it's two of the charges against President So would that, then, would that then prompt a, a release of the Jan 6 prisoners, at least the defendants that have been charged with, the, with that one particular felony uh, element? Well, potentially, it, the tough part about that is that the, uh, the D.C. district courts have cooked up this kind of novel theory mm-hmm. about why people should be held without bond. Um, yeah. The Supreme Court should have addressed that already and has not. Yeah. The case hasn't gotten to them yet. Um, 
to me, it's just, I, I got to tell you, I've done this a long time and I can't even wrap my mind around completely what they came up with. It's just ludicrous. And so, but for a lot of the people, a lot of the people charged with J6 offenses um, that are charged with felonies, in fact, the overwhelming majority of them are charged with this conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. It will impact a lot of those people with respect to their charges. It will impact them with respect to their pending uh, uh, appeals. It will impact people who are in jail or even on release awaiting trial, which right. I keep this in mind. President Trump was indicted in D.C. in August of last year. There are people who are waiting to go to trial. They, they've been waiting for two years to go. To oh trial. yeah, we had we had one of the political prisoners, Jake Lang, on the show, and he's still waiting trial. And now we've got uh, Deputy, you know, Fife from the AG's office talking about how they're now going to go and drag the thousands that never even went inside simply because they moved right. the barricades around and the pe- permit holders didn't even know they were standing in a place that was now, you know, out of bounds for them to be, which is obviously a case of entrapment. I mean, I, I never in my life, my mother used to work for U.S. Attorney John Bolt in New Orleans. I'm the daughter of two Marines. Mama was a Marine before she, you know, got into that business. And it's like, I never in my life, Daniel, thought I would ever see the day in which our own government would be so weaponized against the people. It's just absolutely insane to me. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk to Fa- talk Fannie Willis out of Atlanta. She's now admitting that she's been sleeping with this prosecutor. He's obviously, you know, um, we've got corruption going on. We've got, you know, uh, all kinds of all kinds of evidence of of corruption and uh, conflict of interest. Uh, we've got evidence now that the prosecutor that she hired, her boyfriend, actually sent invoices to the White House for crying to Pete. I mean, it's clear that the White House and the uh, the Biden administration Department of Dr- Justice is behind those indictments there. I mean, even in Louisiana, have you ever seen anything like this? She's still got the gig. The case hasn't been dropped. What do you make of that situation? Well, that's a good question. Uh, first of all, no, I've, I've never seen an indictment. I, I'll say this. I've never seen any anything like any of these indictments against uh, President Trump. Every one of them involves novel theories. But, but what, uh, for me, what I find the most troubling about the Atlanta, Georgia, and the, uh, the Manhattan DA's indictments is these are people, they're, they're bringing claims and, and charges way above their pay grade. This would be the equivalent of the district attorney in the in the parish. You know, in Louisiana we have parishes and not counties. Mm-hmm. In, in, yeah. in the parish I live in, judicial district I live in, indicting Joe Biden for something. I mean, it's just ludicrous. Yeah. And um, the the Fulton County, Georgia, um, the entire case. It's a RICO case. RICO being the Racketeer Influence Corrupt Organizations Act. There's a federal law to that effect, but most states have passed their own version of it. And that's for people who are involved in a criminal enterprise. And I've actually written about this on my substack. There's a host of reasons why that particular case really should have never resulted in an indictment against anyone. Um, they, they can't prove the very fundamental the, – the fundamental prerequisite to a RICO claim is is a – a criminal enterprise itself, and right. um, they, they they don't they don't have a criminal enterprise. Winning winning an election is not a criminal enterprise, and uh, so there's a bunch of other reasons 
but no, I've never seen anything like it. I think it's uh, it's it's ludicrous. It's that, insane uh, what's going this, on. In- yeah, this clown of a prosecutor in in Fulton County, Georgia, is bringing these charges. And it's not just Trump. I mean, there there's over almost uh, twenty people indicted in that. Yeah. Case. Yeah, including one of the attorneys for Al Gore during the Bush v. Gore. And he what he was doing, if my understanding is for Trump in this case, is exactly what he did for Al Gore and Bush v. Gore. It's just insane. Uh, I've had I've just so enjoyed having you on the show tonight, and I hope to have you back real soon. Tell everybody where to go to read your Substack and get your books. Yeah, the best way to figure out uh, or, you know, to get, get to any of my books or my Substacks through my website that's DanielRStreet.com. The uh, it's got links to my books, links to my Substack, and your 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 listeners can get a free copy of my latest book in digital format or audio format at my website, and, and it's for sale at Amazon right now. Well, I just thank you so much for being here. Take good care. Thank you. And go Tigers! All right, we're going to take a break. We come back. Another big case in the courts today we got to share with you guys that I think might have big implications going forward in the country. Stay tuned. AK, dynamite in a dress, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, she's on the answer, San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea Kay Show. Before the break, we were talking to uh, Daniel Street, an attorney out of Louisiana, about uh, the cases against Trump. Uh, the the uh, breaking news today was involving the Jan 6 indictments. If you missed that or any part of the show, download the podcast wherever you get your pods. There was also another court case today that had a really interesting verdict. And you guys might remember... Um, the school shooting that took place um, by Ethan Crumley, 17, he pleaded guilty. He killed uh, at Oxford High School in November of 2021. Uh, he killed four uh, students and he pled guilty as an adult to murder, terrorism and other crimes. And he was sentenced in December to a life in prison without parole. And um you might remember the case because his parents were actually uh, indicted uh, uh, in for their role in this, which is something that we hadn't seen before. We've had different reports of kids taking guns from the parents and going and shooting up schools uh, like Sandy Hook and killing ch- children. This is the first case in which the parents uh, had been uh, charged. And today the mother, um, Crumley, uh, 45, was she was charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter, one for each of the victims in the attack, and she was convicted. She faces up to 15 years in prison per count, and she will be sentenced on April 9th, Jennifer Crumley. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of her testimony on the stand, um, but what was evidently revealed was that she ignored uh, her son's pleas for therapy and for help. She knew that there were mental health issues. One of the jury uh, came out and said that the decision actually hinged in large part, not so much on those text messages and the fact that his mental health issues were ignored 
um, was that um, they believe that she was uh, the last adult to handle the weapon. And quote, the juror said, the thing that really hammered it home was that she was the last adult with a gun. So um, in other words, she did not secure uh, the gun from her mentally ill son. So I think that this could be a really pivotal case. Part of me likes this award, and uh, not award, likes this verdict because, you know, I've been saying that, you know, we, that I grew up in the South and I've told this story many, many times. Y'all are probably sick of hearing it, but I, you know, all these high school boys had guns and, you know, went hunting and fishing and none of them ever shot up a school that, you know, and, and a lot of it has to do with the mental health issues have to do with what's going on in the home whether it's Sandy Hook, whether it's Parkland, whether it's Uvalde, and that I think that parents should should start being held accountable for some of actions that are taking place by their teenage kids. I don't know how the parents of the Columbine students didn't know the sons were building bombs in the garage. But one of the things that I'm concerned about is, you know, you could have a kid completely hiding it from you and have no idea. I feel like there could be a slippery slope. I'm not exactly 100% sure where I fall on this. And I want to hear from you guys. Email me, andreakshow.com, andreakshow.com, because some parents can be absolutely responsible and play a role. And sometimes parents have no idea and kids can successfully hide things. I mean, I've known women that were married to men for 25 years and had no idea the stuff that they were doing behind the women's backs. So... Hmm. I think it's a case by case basis, but given the fact that our justice system has become so corrupted and so used by the left uh, to push their agenda, I always have to look and and ask. I, I always do that anyway. I'm somebody that thinks of the second and third level implications, but then especially now with the way things are so hijacked by the left to push an agenda. And one of the ways they've done that is to seize control of public health uh, as a way to push their agenda. And Reggie Littlejohn, you loved her many times before in the Andrew K show, will be here to give us an update on the World Health Organization pandemic treaty. Stay tuned. Dynamite in a dress, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, she's on the answer, San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. She's been a fan favorite ever since she first appeared on the Andrea K. Show. Reggie Littlejohn, freedom fighter. Uh, she's now, uh, of the anti-globalist Alliance and y'all might not have heard because all this talk about the border, but yesterday, I think it was representative Chris Smith had a press conference in DC, uh, to talk about this world health organization pandemic treaty they're, they're in the uh, planning to shove on the world, which would ultimately completely destroy America's sovereignty as a nation under the guise of public health. And if you thought the crackdowns under COVID were bad, way do you get a load of what life would be like 
if this thing gets through. And joining me now to discuss is Reggie Littlejohn of the Anti-Globalist Alliance, who was at the press conference yesterday. In fact, her speech at the press conference uh, was featured today on an, an article on Breitbart uh, that Reggie at the press conference yesterday said that this treaty is the greatest threat to freedoms that, that the world has ever seen. I'm paraphrasing there, and she joins me now. Hey, Reggie Littlejohn, welcome back to the Andrea K. Show. Well, thank you so much, Andrea. It's great to be back. So, okay, so let's talk about this greatest uh, threat to freedoms uh, in the world, this World Health Organization pandemic treaty. Uh, Representative Smith is right when he said that there's not enough scrutiny and not enough people asking questions. We've talked about it on the show. Where does this thing stand? And what do Americans need to understand about what it means for them if this thing gets through? Okay, so the reason I said that it was the greatest threat to human freedom in the history of the world is that just think of all of the dictators of the world. Think of, you know, Caesar and, you know, Nero and, you know, Hitler and Mao and Stalin. I mean, they all did their best to take over the world, but they couldn't do it because the world was not interconnected in the way the World Health Organization wants to interconnect it. Um, and so the way that the World Health Organization wants to establish these digital IDs, um, which will, will be used as a tool of mass surveillance and, and totalitarian control, and then we have other people like you know the World Bank rolling out these central bank digital currencies and everything, um, which are programmable. And so if, 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 if the digital ID picks up that you're a dissident, that you're a dissident voice, that you don't go along with the flow, you don't go along with the world health organization's narrative, they can shut your money off on the, on the CBDC. And this is a, a, a tool of con the totalitarian control that the dictators throughout history would have just lusted after. I mean, they, no one ever thought that they could do this worldwide. So the, the World Health Organization, Tedros, announced a couple of months ago that he was collaborating with the European Union to roll out digital IDs worldwide, and they are in the process of doing that. Um, in terms of where all of this stands, um, okay, technologically, it's being rolled out right now. Legally, they, what they want to do is have it voted upon at the World Health Assembly, which is in May of this year, as in four months from now. And um, I'm doing everything I can to delay that vote because if we can, I feel I feel like we are in a race against the globalists. So the globalists are trying to snap this trap shut before we can figure out that we're in a trap. And I'm trying to alert everybody that we're in a trap and we need to, you know, and we need to stop it before it snaps shut. Well, yeah, we have to, because uh, from what I've seen in terms of what this thing ultimately would do is, you know, the game plan really is that we no longer are sovereign as a nation in terms of, um, our health, that, as Tedros has said, there needs to be a global response. They've got this this place card called Disease X um, oh. as they are working on their global response, which involves a digital ID in which you won't be able to move about society without proving that you've got, first of all, they can, with, with this disease X uh, place placeholder, uh, anytime they declare 
that there's a deadly virus, uh, they can, under this pandemic treaty, they can decide what businesses are open, which ones aren't, lockdowns, quarantines, travel, all of that gets controlled by the global enterprise. And then in order to manage all that, we're going to be on a, we have a digital ID in which every aspect of our lives is placed under that from our medical records, our finances, our communications, our shopping and all of it. And then that's the way that they're going to be able to completely control our movements in every aspect of our lives. Is that overly simplified? No, I think it's an excellent summary, but I just want to clarify. Okay, the World Economic Forum was saying disease X is coming and disease X will be 20 times more deadly than the coronavirus. Well, first of all, how do they know disease X is coming with so much certainty unless they are planning on releasing it themselves? I mean, how do you know that? I mean, how do they know that? So, so, and the other thing I think that people need to understand is that disease X is not an actual disease. It, what they're doing is they're saying, hypothetically, we could have a disease that is 20 times as lethal as the coronavirus, and therefore, that is the justification for imposing these digital IDs, you know, because they need to track who's sick and they need to track who's vaccinated. Um, and, and so it's, 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 what they're doing is they're trying, it's, it's fear porn. They are trying to f make everybody freak out about disease X so that they will accept these digital IDs, which is the end game. The end game is, is getting these digital IDs, which if you look on the World Economic Forum website, um, there's there's a, a chart there that shows everything that you're going to need a digital ID in order to accomplish, including, as you said, well, travel, um, online shopping, having a bank account, voting, paying your taxes. Uh, so you'll have to have a digital ID for, for all of these things, and if you if you have and you have to be compliant because you could have a digital ID and be not compliant. Like I'm not I'm being uncompliant right now exposing the lies of the, uh, of the World Health Organization instead of parroting them, then, then they can go in with the central bank digital currencies, which are programmable, and say, you know what, Reggie Littlejohn is a problem. Let's just turn off her ability to spend money, and then you're completely paralyzed. Well, and we saw a little bit of that play out with the with the trucker convoy in Canada. What was the reaction by Congress members? Because, I mean, I, I have Congressman Amy Biggs on my show on a regular basis. He seems like the only one interested um, besides Smith in this. Um, I think the Republican Party is so corrupt, at least so many of them are. I mean, they, you know, the impeachment, you know, of Mayorkas failed today. So, um, but what, what other, what other Congress people, where do you feel like, um, we have some movement from Congress in stopping this thing? Well, okay. So we had a congressional quickly, we've got 30 seconds, 30 seconds left. Oh, well, if we only have 30 seconds left, let me tell people to go to the anti-globalist Alliance and sign our, um, manifesto. So it's antiglobalist.net, antiglobalist.net. Um, and sign the manifesto saying that you, that you are not going to go along with this and that you are, are not going to go along with the, the globalist coup that's happening internationally, not just in the United States. All right. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Reggie Littlejohn, for all that you do to fight for our freedoms. We appreciate you so much. All right. Thank you so much, Andrea, for having me on. Thank you. And you guys stick around another hour of the Andrea K. Show coming up. Yep. The impeachment of Mayorkas failed today. Or did it? Stay with us.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.